How to Pray One Hour. On today's Disciple Making Podcast, I want to teach us how to pray an hour. But let me say right up front, praying an hour is not legalism. This is not the metric by which we judge our, uh, ourselves or our disciples. Can you pray an hour? Can you pray? It's not like we get a badge on our lapel. Hey, I'm, I pray an hour. It's not something we pride ourselves in. But let me tell you, praying an hour is a blessing. Praying an hour is a standard. In fact, when Jesus said to his disciples, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray. When he said one hour, he was throwing down the gauntlet. He was saying, this is standard. I should be able to expect you as my disciples to pray an hour. So Jesus is the one that that coined the phrase, if you will. He's the one who first suggested this is normal Christianity. This is normal for any disciple to be able to pray an hour. And that's how we want to approach this. But I want to tell you two things about prayer that I've learned over the last 30 years as a a man of prayer. Number one is nobody knows how to pray. Uh, This past year, we've trained 15 million leaders around the world. And if I've learned one thing, nobody knows how to pray. So if you feel like you don't know how to pray, welcome to the party. You don't have the corner on the market of prayerlessness. We're all guilty. If, if, if you're real, if you're honest, you, you realize prayerlessness is a reality and it's a problem. But the other thing that I've learned is anyone can pray. When you're born again, the Holy Spirit can teach you. And this, this means you, no matter who you are. If you're a brand new Christian, you can pray an hour. But it's only the the Holy Spirit needs to teach you to do that because you'll never learn on your own. And it doesn't take more willpower. It doesn't take self-effort. It takes a move of the Holy Spirit in you. Now, before I tell you how to pray an hour and give you some guidelines, I want to use the word picture of Gethsemane and tell you what the word Gethsemane means. You see, it was in Gethsemane When Jesus was wrestling for hours in prayer, three times he went to his disciples and said, wake up, watch with me and pray. It was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, what was he doing? He was rebuking their prayerlessness in the garden. But when he said to them, I expect you to be able to pray at least an hour with me, what he was offering to them in Gethsemane was not just the conviction of sin over their prayerlessness, but he was offering them the grace or the empowerment, the, uh, the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be able to do something in them that they were unable to do for themselves, that is, pray an hour. And this is my point. You and I do not have the ability in and of ourselves to pray effectively and in a way that encounters Christ and brings God into our world for an hour on our own. We don't have it. But it's the Gethsemane anointing that will give it to you. And now for the word picture. The word Gethsemane means olive press. 
And it was located at the base of what we know as the Mount of Olives. The reason it's called the Mount of Olives is because it's a hill outside of Jerusalem covered with olive trees. And any sensible farmer who had a share in the, in the orchards of olive trees would never have put the olive press at the top of the mountain because then the, the farmers would have to carry their bushel baskets up the mountain to the olive press. No, they wisely put the olive press at the base of the Mount of Olives so that when they would harvest their olives, they would bring the olives to the base, much easier to walk downhill than uphill, and take them to the olive press where those olives were crushed. Now listen to me carefully. It is no accident that the disciples were crushed like olives in the place called Olive Press because they were broken over their prideful prayerlessness. They were humbled and they received out of that repentance over their prayerlessness, they received anointing so that one month later, they were not just able to pray one hour. They were able to pray 10, 12 hours a day for 10 days straight leading up to Pentecost in the upper room. Now, I'd say they got more than their dose of olive press anointing. They realized the two things that I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast. They realized, one, nobody can pray that is on their own. No one knows how to pray. And they realized anyone can pray once the Holy Spirit anoints their brokenness and repentance over their prayerlessness and receives from God supernatural ability to pray for an extended time. Hallelujah. Now, many years ago, actually in the actual Garden of Gethsemane, I spent an hour alone with God and I received the Gethsemane anointing. But you don't have to be in Jerusalem, Israel, to receive this anointing. You can receive it right now and I encourage you to do so. And at this point, I want to give you a pattern that will help you structure an hour of prayer. Now, this pattern is not going to give you the anointing. The anointing comes from the Holy Spirit. But this is from Scripture. And the Scripture is the sword of the Spirit. So between the, the Holy Spirit and the Holy Word of God, you can receive not only the anointing and the empowerment, but the pattern to use as you pray one hour. And the pattern is from the Lord's Prayer. In Luke chapter 11, verse 1, the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And the first thing Jesus responded with was, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, when he gave that, that gave the pattern. And what we found is that this pattern of prayer 
contains all prayer. Each aspect of the prayer is Christ encountering. And the whole pattern is worth using. In fact, it's a, this pattern will help build prayer muscle into you as you use it. Now, let me lay it out for us. We've discovered that there are seven pieces to the Lord's Prayer. And let me lay, that, lay it out. It begins, number one, relationship, our Father. All prayer rises out of the relationship of Father with his child. If you're a man, with you as his son. If you're a woman, with you as his daughter. Second, worship. Hallowed be your name. All worship rises out of a response to the name of Christ. Third, lordship. Your kingdom come. And we're going to talk about that. Four, sonship. Give us, forgive us. Children need food. Give us today our daily bread. And children need forgiveness. Forgive us our debts. Fellowship, number five, as we forgive our debtors. In relationship with family, in relationship with friends, colleagues, we will get hurt. We will be cheated. We will be um, dissed in one way or another. What preserves fellowship? Forgiveness. Number six, leadership. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And seven, these words added by the early church, most likely spoken by Jesus, but not recorded in scripture when it was originally written. It was added a little later by the church. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. But number seven is ownership. Now in each of these portions, these seven parts to the Lord's Prayer, I want you to picture a house. And each of these seven parts refers to a different room in the house. Now, Jesus said, my house is to be a house of prayer. That means prayer fills the whole house. The house of God's gathering is intended to be full of prayer. Now, if all prayer is in the Lord's Prayer, and if prayer is to fill the house, it's not surprising that each of these seven parts of the Lord's Prayer pattern referred to a different room in the house. The entryway to the house, picture this with me, the entryway into the house is relationship. How do you get into the house of prayer? Only through Jesus. Jesus said, John 3, rather John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Relationship through Christ the Father. And we spend time in this first room of the house receiving the blessing of the Father, the love of the Father, relationship. Then we declare the name, hallowed be your name. We we spend time lifting up the name of Jesus. This room has like a vaulted ceiling. It's like a cathedral. It's the highest, tallest room in the house because the name of the Lord is a strong tower. And when we declare his name, it clears the atmosphere. Number three, lordship, your kingdom come. The Lord will teach you how to advance his kingdom in prayer and give you eyes for the kingdom. Then the middle room in the house is the fourth room and it's sonship. It's where God meets the needs of the family. 
Give to us, that refers to our physical needs. Forgive us, refers to our spiritual needs. So all of our needs are meant met in this fourth room. The fifth is fellowship, as we forgive others. It's kind of the, the room off the main living room is the fellowship. And it's important for us to maintain relationships by extending forgiveness. Nothing will choke out prayer faster than bitterness. God wants us to keep short accounts. We spend time there allowing God to convict us of any sin and to remove those areas of unforgiveness from us. Number six, leadership. Now, you and I have two enemies, the enemy of sin and the enemy of Satan. Both these enemies are dealt with in this sixth room. Lead us not into temptation, that's defeating enemy number one, sin. But deliver us from the evil one, that's dealing with enemy number two, Satan. And then all these rooms involve receiving. Relationship, our Father, we receive the love of the Father. Oh, hallowed be your name, we receive a fresh revelation of his name. Your kingdom come, we're receiving the kingdom. Give us, forgive us, we're receiving food and forgiveness. As we forgive others, we're giving what we first received. Lead us and deliver us, we're receiving leadership and deliverance. And then in the seventh room, before we leave the house, we declare, we give it all back to him. Not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to you be all the glory. Yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory. Hallelujah. Now, that's how to spend an hour in prayer. Walk patiently, and, and not that you would set a, a stopwatch, but essentially seven rooms in an hour is basically five to 10 minutes in each room. Using this pattern in the house of prayer, the seven rooms, you spend uh, seven to 10 minutes in each room and you'll spend an hour with God, hallelujah. Now I wanna lead you in repentance from prayerlessness. If you're gonna receive the, the, the Gethsemane one hour prayer anointing, and it's not like, again, you set your stopwatch and you have to end right in an hour or if you come up a little short, oh man, I didn't quite uh, bless the, the Lord today. No, it's not that way. Some days you, you might pray less, sometimes you're gonna pray longer, but it's how to build muscle in prayer. And the only way to build muscle in prayer is to begin with repentance, repenting from prayerlessness. God, I don't know how to pray, forgive me, break, break me. And thank you that you have broken me. You've exposed the sin, the taproot of pride and prayerlessness, and I repent. Now replace my inability to pray with your supernatural enablement, with your supernatural empowerment to pray an hour or longer now in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today in this podcast, uh, Disciple Making Podcast. May it be useful and put it to good use.